we have uh, two readings tonight. Uh, the first of which is Exodus chapter 20, uh, starting the first verse. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or your daughter nor your maidservant nor your manservant nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. The second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, starting at the first verse. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. This is God's word. Good evening. If we haven't met, my name's James. I'm one of the apprentices here at Christchurch Mayfair. It's good to have you with good to be with you. And if you have your Bibles, please do turn back to the first reading in Exodus chapter twenty. And as we come to God's word, let's pray together. Father God, we praise you that as we come to your word, we are confident that it is you speaking to us. Father, as we look at it this evening, we pray that you would help us to understand exactly what it is that your word means and what it means for us to live that out. Please, would your spirit be at work in us, changing us to love you more. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. The secret to living a long life is drinking three cans of Dr. Pepper every day. Apparently. Well, that's at least according to 104-year-old Elizabeth Sullivan. Uh, Earlier this year, she was interviewed in The Telegraph. She said, I started drinking them about 40 years ago. Three a day. Every doctor that sees me says, they'll kill you but they die and I don't. So there must be a mistake somewhere. The article goes on to give interviews with other people who've lived to be over the age of 100. 
and asks them what they thought the secret to living a long life was. Answers range from eating porridge to avoiding stress to being religious. Or if you're female, Jesse Galan, aged 109, would say, my secret to a long life has been staying away from men. <laughs> they're just more trouble than they're worth. <laughs> of course, the article's written tongue-in-cheek, but is there, is there a secret to living a long life? Is there a secret to living a long life? Well, if you were uh, concentrating as you read through Exodus chapter 20, you may have noticed that curious promise in verse 12. Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. The secret to a long life, says God, is honoring your parents. Well, if you're joining us this week, you'll know that we're midway through the series in the Ten Commandments. These are the commandments that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. They're the commandments that he gave for his people to live by. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you might have thought, oh, this is absolutely typical of religion. You you turn up, there's Ten Commandments, rules, just tick them off one by one, then God will accept you. But if you look at the context, you'll see that's not what's going on. If you flick back a page to chapter 20, verse 2, look what God says. He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, the context in which these commandments were given is that God has already rescued his people. He's already rescued them. And he's made them his own. You don't keep the commandments to become one of his people. You keep them because you've already become one of his people. He's already rescued you. But because God has become our God and we have become his people, that means that he does have the authority to speak into every area of our lives. He does have that authority. And the area of life we're going to be thinking about this evening is our family life. Particularly, how do we relate to our parents? Where we're going this evening, if you have your service sheets, you'll see on the back, um, we're going to firstly, we're going to look at the commandment and then we're going to look at the promise. What do they mean? Then we're going to see that honouring our parents, first of all, begins in our hearts, particularly the attitude that we have to God. And then thirdly, we're going to look at some implications for what that means. So that's where we're going. So firstly, honouring our parents, the secret to a long life. Okay, what does the commandment mean? It says, honour your father and your mother. So honour, that word comes from a Hebrew word that means heavy or weighty. So to honour, literally, it just means to show uh, an attitude of weight or honour, or oh, sorry, an attitude of weight or an attitude of heaviness towards someone. So you take them seriously, showing respect to them. And it's especially used in the Bible for the way that we relate to people who God has placed in authority over us. So whether that be how children relate to their parents or how citizens relate to the government or how the church relates to the church elders, it's the way that we show honour, weightiness, respect to someone who God has placed in authority. And it's worth saying right from the start, we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 15, as Jesus applies this commandment, he applies it in a way that it's clear it's to adults, not just young children. So right from the start, this is for all of us as we relate to our parents. The commandment means that children should have an attitude of respectful submission 
weightiness to their parents. Okay, so that's the commandment. What does the promise mean? We'll look down chapter 20, verse 12. So that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. So God says to his people that if you individually, you as a society, live in a way where children are honouring their parents, then you can expect to live a long time in that land. He's laying out a pattern of a a society that flourishes when children honour their parents. Now please, don't see it as a transaction. He's not saying that if Reuben, the 13-year-old Israelite, sort of washes the dishes, his life expectancy increases and then suddenly he answers them back and down it goes again. That's not what he's saying. It's not a transaction. It's a pattern. A pattern that a society that honours their parents will flourish. And this is not just true for the Israelites back then. The verses we read in Ephesians 6, you'll see that Paul reaffirms it for Christians. In Ephesians 6, he says, It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. And I imagine that if most of us spent some time thinking about it, we'd agree that that is just true generally, that a society where children honour parents is good and flourishes, and the opposite is not good for our society. I mean, just think about all of the things that parents do because they're in authority for us that result in our lives um, flourishing. I just wrote down a list. You could multiply a thousand times. Our parents provided for us food, shelter, clothes, protected us from doing things that would harm ourselves, disciplined us, made sure we knew the difference between right and wrong. They made sure we went to school, that we rested, that we relaxed, that we ate a balanced diet, that we went on holiday. They gave us advice. They shared their life experience with us as we made decisions. For some of us, they were the first ones who taught us about Jesus and took us to church. The list just goes on and on. Loads of things that our parents have done that are for our good. I mean, I for one can say that had I grown up uh, in a family home that had been run by a democracy where everyone had an equal vote, me and my two siblings, we would have outvoted our parents on absolutely everything. And it would have been a disaster, an absolute disaster. In fact, my life expectancy, and probably some of yours as well, would have decreased. (laughs) See, we know that it's good for us and our society that we honour our parents. And when you think about it, it is no surprise that obedience to the God who made us and who loves us results in life that is good and flourishes. That is no surprise. Look, of course, I know that not every parent will use their um, authority that God has given them well. There will be some parents who do wicked things. There will be some parents who do abusive things. And clearly, in a society where parents teach their children to live completely in ungodliness, that's not going to flourish. Of course, that's true. But in God's grace, for most of us, For most of us, that's not the case. For most of us, we've had parents who have been good in general to us. So the fifth commandment says, children, honour your parents. And that leads to a life that flourishes. Okay, so we've covered the commandment and promise. Can we just finish and go home? You might wish so, but sadly not. Sadly not. And the reason why is because there's a problem. There is a problem. And the problem is this, that all of us have been hardwired 
to rebel. All of us have been hardwired to rebel. Amongst the morning congregation at Christchurch Mayfair, I'm involved in leading the children's programme, which means that I have the privilege of seeing the children and parents of Christchurch Mayfair very regularly. And let me tell you a scenario that I've seen played out a thousand times. I'm not thinking of any particular child, so let's think of a four-year-old, four-year-old Timmy. And Timmy is having an amazing time playing with his Lego. He's having a great time building a tower. But then mum comes over to Timmy and says, Timmy, it's time to go home. And just for a split second, just for a split second, you see the cogs in Timmy's head turning as he's weighing up the options. Lego, that's fun. Home, not so fun. And what follows is the parenting equivalent of a UN peace treaty negotiation. (laughs) As you see Timmy using every reason and tactic he can to avoid going home. Which basically, age four, means ignoring mum, screaming at mum, or running away from mum. That's all he has. And negotiations finally end when mum picks up the toddler and takes him to the door. (laughs) As demonstrated there. But the question is, have you ever thought, why? Have you ever thought, why? Why is it the case that every child, without exception, rebels against their parents? I mean, if honouring our parents is such a good thing for us, why is it that every one of us rebels? I mean, it's not something that parents teach their children. So why is it that everyone rebels? Well, you might say, it's just a phase. It's just a phase that children grow out of. And that by the time we're adults, that rebellious streak has gone. Well, if the first illustration about rebellious toddlers is amusing, this one is not. In 2004, the French government had to pass a law making it a crime for um, adults who had elderly parents living on their own to, quote, fail to keep themselves regularly informed of their state of health. That was soon after statistics showing that suicide rates amongst the elderly were incredibly high. And earlier, about six months earlier, 15,000 elderly people had died in a massive heat wave, which a member of the French Senate said was made worse because of offspring who were, quote, indifferent to the fate of their elderly relatives. People had just gone off on holiday without even bothering to check whether their parents were okay. And when they come back, they discover the body weeks later. And you see a similar law introduced in China, 2013. Clearly, those governments don't think that children will always honour their parents as they grow up. Of course, I'm not suggesting that everyone with an elderly parent is indifferent to their welfare. And neither am I suggesting that all of us will live in constant friction with our parents. But what I am certain of, because the Bible tells me, and we're going to see it in a second, is that the moment when honouring parents clashes with my agenda for my life, it's then that the rebellious streak appears. When there's a clash between honouring parents and my own agenda, it's then that a rebellious streak appears. That rebellion might reveal itself as straight, flat-out disobedience or ignoring them, or it might just be that internal, inward frustration as they tell us something to do something we don't want to my time that I wanted to use for myself and now I've got to go and call them now I've got to go and visit them or my money that I wanted to use for myself and now I've got to spend it to help them 
or my career plans threatened because I need to live closer to them. It's of those moments, those moments particularly, that our rebellion surfaces. Now, what I've been trying to persuade you of has been explained for us in the Bible. The Bible says that our rebellion against authority is a symptom of a deeper problem. A deeper problem that lies in our hearts, that is rebellion against the highest authority. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, you'll find that on page 5 in the church Bibles. Genesis chapter 3. And God has just made, he's made a perfect world. A world where he's given Adam and Eve, his people, everything they need. They're provided for completely. They have everything. But God just says, let me give you one rule. Just one rule. So that you'll remember that I am God. I'm in charge. And you're not. I determine what's right and wrong. You don't. He's given them one rule. Don't take from the fruit of one tree. Let's see what happens. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Did you spot it in verse 5? You will be like God. You will be like God. Take the fruit and you will be in charge. You'll decide what's right and wrong, not God. Get rid of God as highest authority. I will choose what's right and wrong. Rebellion against the highest authority. Hearts twisted to be wanting to be in charge. God off the throne, me on the throne. And as Paul comments on the state of humanity since that moment in Romans chapter 1, he talks about people who, although they knew God, they didn't honour him as God. And the result of that, in Romans 1 verse 30, amongst a whole list of things, they disobey their parents. Failure to honour God as the highest authority, me in charge. What does that lead to? Well, any authority that God has placed over me, who cares? I'm in charge. It makes sense, because if you've rebelled against the highest authority, why would you care about any authority he's placed over you? Why would you care? When their agenda clashes with your agenda, you win because you're in charge. And you see, that's what's at stake when we come to the fifth commandment. That's what's at stake. When honouring our parents clashes with our agenda, the question is whether we first honour God as highest authority. And so honour those authorities he's placed over us, like our parents. The heart of the issue is whether or not we honour God first. So if the Bible is so pessimistic or realistic about human nature, then what's the point of coming here this evening? Because we're saying here, honour your father and your mother. And I'm saying, well, all of us are rebels. So what's the point of even thinking about this commandment? 
well, yes, we are destined to fail unless, unless our hearts are changed. We're destined to fail unless our hearts are changed. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. You'll find it on page 1199 in the church Bibles, I think. Titus chapter 3. And as we turn there, this is Paul who's writing um, and he's telling Titus, a church leader, what he should teach the people in his church. And chapter 3, verse 1, he begins, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good. So there's the command again, be subject to those um, rulers and authorities God has placed. That's where he begins. But Paul, surely, surely if we're all rebels, we can't do that. Well, verse 3. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. So yeah, Paul acknowledges it. We were once, we were enslaved to our own passions and pleasures, what we wanted to do, our agenda. He acknowledges it. But look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he saved us. And this is the really important bit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal. Do you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, I can tell you to be um, subject to rules and authorities because I know for certain that something has happened in you. Something has happened inside of you. He says, you have been reborn. You've been renewed. The spirit has changed you. The spirit has changed you. You see, the cry of every new Christian is not, I'm in charge. The cry of every new Christian is that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. We sung the song earlier, our God reigns. That's what we say when we're Christians, our God reigns. That the God who reigns is the one who has come and rescued us and changed us on the inside. Which means that we can be subject to rulers and authorities like our parents. See, that's the heart of the Christian faith. That's the heart of this commandment, is to see that having been changed so that Jesus is Lord, we can and are able to honour our parents and any other authority that God has given Okay, so that's the second point. But what are the implications of that for us? What are the implications for us? How do we honour our parents? So if we have a heart that honours God and so honours our parents, what does this mean for us in practice? And the answer is, it depends. The answer is, it depends. Look, I'm aware that in a room like this, there's a whole range of different cultures, a whole range of different ages and stages, a whole range of different types of people. And honouring will look slightly different for each one of us. So hear these implications as conversation starters, biblical principles to get us thinking about how we honour our parents in our particular situation. And we're just going to spend a few minutes looking at some of the things that honouring our parents might mean. So when you're younger, it's fairly straightforward. If you're a child, if you're dependent on your parents, honouring means obeying them. That's what Ephesians 6 says. 
obey your parents. And if you're a teenager, as you grow up, you obey without sulking. That's the way that you honour your parents. But things get a little more complicated as you grow older and your stage in life changes. So Genesis 2 will talk about how there comes a point when you leave your father and your mother. So there comes a point when actually you're no longer dependent on them. And so honouring looks slightly different. It doesn't just mean flat out obedience. So let me just suggest a few ways. You'll see them on the sheet. Four implications for us to think about afterwards. The first one, growing up. The first one, growing up, which might be applicable to some. Many of you will already have grown up, I know. So if one of the purposes of parenting is to train a child so that they can stop being dependent on their parents, if that's one of the purposes of parenting, does it not dishonour your parents if you never grow up and leave them? Is that not dishonouring to them? Does it not say to the world that my parents have failed to teach me to grow up if I'm still not growing up? To put it another way, if someone aged 25 is still living with the same level of dependence on their parents as someone aged 15, what does that say about the parents to the world? Does it dishonour them? Something to think about, to talk about afterwards. But secondly, number two, implication two, seeking their advice. Seeking their advice. So it's no mistake that if you read through the book of Proverbs, it's written as wisdom given from father to son. From the perspective of an adult parent passing on wisdom. See, our parents usually do know us the best. They usually know us the best and they have life experience that we don't have. And it shows that we treat them in a way that is weighty when we seek out that advice from them. That doesn't necessarily mean we have to do what they advise, but it does mean we seek it out and treat it seriously. And this does cut against our culture, which celebrates the wisdom of youth. It celebrates the wisdom of youth, discrediting anyone who doesn't know how to use Twitter. But the Bible says that that's nonsense. Older people, older people have wisdom and experience, and we should seek it out, particularly from our parents who know us well. And that will require effort. That will require effort on our part. But it is a good thing, and shows that we treat them with respect. Thirdly, being gracious. Being gracious. And this is particularly for those who have been itching to say, yeah, but you wouldn't be saying any of that if you knew my parents. If you knew my parents. They're particularly irritating. Or just, perhaps it's not that. Perhaps it's just that they're, they're not Christians, and so they have a slightly different view of the world. And you just think, yeah, but it's hard for me to, to get on with them when that doesn't, when those, that such fundamental thing is different. Well, the first thing, not the only thing, but the first thing I would say is be gracious to them. Be gracious to them. If you're actively looking for ways to honour them, to treat them with respect, then there are almost certainly going to be lots of things that are good and positive that you can say about them, rather than just moaning about all the things you don't like about them all the time. Be gracious. And what an opportunity it is to witness about how the power of the gospel in us has changed us so that we can love people who aren't like us and love people who perhaps irritate us sometimes. What a powerful witness that is. Wouldn't it be a shame if our Christian witness was that we became less honouring children rather than more honouring children? So we can be gracious to them. And finally, final implication, number four, supporting them. 
There's going to be a verse that will come up on the screen from 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul writing, But if a widow, an older person who has no longer got any support in that culture, if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. For this is pleasing to God. So he's clear there that the responsibility for caring for a parent who no longer has the resources to look after themselves lies with the children and the grandchildren. Not in the first place, the church or the state. It lies with the children. And I take that word caring to mean financial support and emotional support and every sort of support you can think of that they need to be cared for. Of course, I can't say from the front exactly what that will mean for every one of you with your parents. I can't say that from the front. But what I can do is raise a couple of questions just to think about. Let me raise a couple of questions, which you can talk about with the appropriate people afterwards. So number one, are the age and requirements of your parents a factor you take into account when you make decisions about where to live, what job to take, what money to spend or save? Are those, is that even a factor in the choices that you make? And number two, have you discussed with your parents or with your siblings about what care might look like for your parents as they grow up? A couple of questions to talk about with people who know you well afterwards. And of course, I know that lots of you are doing these things already. And if you're doing these things already, keep on going. Keep on going. It honours God by honouring those he's placed in charge. God is the one who reigns. The cry of the Christian is Jesus is Lord. And because Jesus is Lord, that means that we honour those he has placed over us. And ultimately, he says that that is the secret to living a long life. Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is the one who has come and rescued us and has changed our hearts so that we are no longer rebels if we're trusting in him. And Father, we praise you that it is for our good that you have placed parents in authority over us. And so I pray that you would help each one of us as we put into practice what it means to say Jesus is Lord that you would help each one of us to honour our parents and work out what that means exactly in our situations. We pray that in his name. Amen.